Welcome to Shadow Light. Join us as we navigate the big issues on your feed, moving from apathy and overwhelm to collective action and hopeful pathways forward. I'm Zoe. And I'm Larissa. And this week we're asking, is big tech ruining our dating lives? I was saying to Zoe just before this, I think I'm ruining my own, but happy to blame big tech and then give all the reasons why. So let's get into it. I love to blame big tech for this. I love to blame big tech for why it's so rough on the streets. It really is. And you know what? I think at Shadow Light, we love love. Love is power. Love is truth. Love is community. But I do think our generation is struggling. We are struggling, I think. So much. I put out a call out on my on my story. Be like, tell me your terrible dating stories. And truly, it was scary. Honestly, it's hard out here. And I feel sorry for everyone, myself included, um, who has to deal with dating in this climate. Um, but before we get into it, how have you been? How are you doing? How's your week? Oh my God, you know what? Okay, I'm glad you asked me. I'm really good, but this is probably going to date us because we're recording this a little bit before it's released. But talking of dating, to those out there who are watching Love Island or who have just watched Love Island, I made the final last night, Whitney was robbed. Whitney was robbed. And that's kind of all I have to say on that um, fuming. Anyway, how are you? <laughs> I, sorry, my mouth literally jaw dropped because I don't know what's going on with Love Island because I can't watch it where I am. And it's just annoying me because I was seeing all the memes and all the responses and I'm like, oh, I don't know what's happening. Uh, anyway. All you need to know is another like charismatic, beautiful black woman who was the backbone of the show, who was everyone's favourite, was robbed again from being the winner. And that's all I will say on that, but I'm fuming about it. And where are you? Where are you coming from? Why can't you watch Love Island? Where are you streaming in from? Currently in Bogota, in Colombia. And yeah, I just, but my, I think mentally I'm still in Kigali right now because I just went to Women Deliver over there. That was real fun. What's Women Deliver for those who don't know? Oh, it's like a conference every three years and it happens to bring together like people working around gender justice around the world. So there were folks working on everything from sexual harassment to child marriage to FGM and like literally anything that you could possibly think of. There was some really interesting stuff around gender justice and climate justice. Um, mm. And yes, yeah, so it just all things to do with gender, gender justice, and like, yeah, just good good vibes with good feminists when you just get to meet people and like you've known online. You know those moments where you're like, oh my gosh, you're real in real life. One day that will be us, babe. It will, September. <laughs> Coming soon. <laughs> yeah, so... I similarly, I didn't even actually put anything out on Instagram, sorry. I just crowdsourced from my friends some of these, like, your hinge Tinder online dating stories. And I just want to, like, read you the list of, like, <laughs> what we've colloquially come to call them over the years. So I've got barefoot guy, white fedora guy, Tory guy, therapy guy. And that's just, like, the top five of, like, the stories that came that I could mention. There are so many absolutely crazy men on dating apps sorry sorry lads the short term the short term names for this <laughs> boy it's actually rough because the fact that there are that many and all of those have stories so i just i dread to think you know what though the thing is as i was writing this list i was like all of these particular lads this is from a very heterosexual standpoint but all of these lads like while they were all absolutely hilarious and terrible like 
they're kind of good content. Like I kind of think when you go on a hinge date or whatever, it's actually better when they're doing something absolutely insane and then you can go back and you have a really good voice note to send to the girls. Like <laughs> I feel like it's almost worse when you go on a hinge date and they're just so boring and you're like, this is a waste of two hours. Like I'm not getting this two hours back. Whereas like- You're giving me content for the group. You're, you're not giving me any content for the girls, which is the only reason why I go on these dates. Do you know what I mean? This is how you know it's terrible because we're actually looking for chaos. We're like, at least that's better than boring. <laughs> exactly, exactly. What were some of the like horror stories that you got sent in? Oh, one of my friends told me about going on a date and someone literally told them on a first date about a raging porn addiction, like on a like first date within the first few minutes. And I was just, I was listening to this story and I was like, uh... I, uh, bring back shame. In some contexts, you know, I'm, I'm very anti-shame in the vast majority of contexts, but I just feel like sometimes there are very interesting approaches to first dates. But I just, I don't know where, I don't know where people got the, the ideas from about what is and isn't correct to share. Like, I just... I mean, that's not fun or hilarious. That's just stressful. I was thinking, you know what, this is a symptom of that is the real pandemic, is that when you go on a date, if you're a straight woman on a date with a, with a straight man or whatever, or like, yeah, you're a woman on a date with a man, they will talk for 45 minutes and ask you not a single question. And that's how a man ends up talking about his porn addiction, because he hasn't asked you a question in 45 minutes, so he's telling you his whole damn life. And you have to be like, uh-huh. Oh, uh-huh. That's so interesting. And you're like, why are you telling me what your grandma's cousin like went to school? Do you know what I mean? As in... Who taught men that they were the most interesting thing on the planet? I would just, I, I would like to know. I just, just a quick question. If anyone has answers. No, I actually started like, cause I, I, I've been like, I've, I've done my time on the apps. Like I really haven't. Like I had quite a lot of fun on it, but I will say that by the end of like my hinge period, I was saying to men like, you actually have, you need to ask me more questions. And like, that's me giving you feedback for the next date that you go on. You need to ask who you're on a date with more questions because this is boring to me and you're not that interesting. Cause you have to tell them, otherwise they're not gonna like learn. Cause they don't really, they truly don't realize. One time I asked a guy, cause like the conversation was second, I was like, if you were a fruit, what would you be? He, sp- he spoke for 15 minutes how he was a pineapple and then didn't ask me what fruit I would be. I was like, I only asked, asked you so that you would ask me. And I can tell you, I'd be a pomegranate. I think that's also how a conversation works. Like, <laughs> I'm, like what? I was, oh, I don't know. I'm so lost. Like, I, it's, it's just a breakdown in actual human interaction and communication. And it's just like, do you see women as people? Because if you think, is this how your conversations with other men go? Like, I don't understand. Mm. Yeah, no, I know, I know. I always wonder this. I'm like, but then I think, it, I what I think it is, is that like, okay, and this is again, generalisation. I think women, when we have conversations, we're out here asking each other questions. We're like, how was your week? How was your mum? How's the job going? How's Sue at work? Is she still pissing you off? Like, men don't ask each other questions like that. So when you're on a date with a man and you're like asking him questions, he's just like, that doesn't happen. So he's just like answering them and not asking them back because that's not how, anyway. It's, you're right, you know. That's actually, you're right, we could try, we don't know, crackpot theories here, but like, we love to guess. I kind of want to say one, which is my friend Bonnie's one, which is so funny. Like, she, this is just a funny one. So she went on a date with this guy that she matched with on Hinge and he was like, she got there and she like really clearly became really apparent that he just basically wanted, because she, she has like, she had quite a cool job. She was like a producer. He clearly just wanted to work where she worked. She was working for this like quite cool 
company. And so she was like, yeah, okay, whatever. Like, date ended. She was like, it's not going anywhere. And then she was like, hey, bye, see ya. Like, went to get some chips from the, like, kebab shop. He came back in and was like, hey, sorry, my phone died. Can you get me an Uber home? And she was like, fucking hell, all right. Like, I'll order you an Uber, but you have to pay me back tomorrow. So he took an Uber. It cost her £40. <laughs> and then, and then... Like, a year later, her boss said to her, like, oh, Bonnie, I, I just bumped into your ex-boyfriend. What? And she what? was like, what? And he... No, I know. And and he said... And she was like, what? And then he said the name of this guy. She was like, that is not my ex-boyfriend. That is a guy that I went on a date with once. And he'd met her boss, but because he still wanted to work at this company, he was trying to impress him and said that it was she was his ex-girlfriend. Like, he was using it as, a jo- like, a job interview. Ah, please don't. And took 40 quid off her nonetheless. Stop. That's terrifying because what do you mean this is like a rung on the ladder for you? Like, <laughs> Also, I if all the men out there who I've been on a single hinge date with were calling me their ex-girlfriend, I'd be like, nightmare. Not good for PR for me. Not good for PR for me. <laughs> no, because now we're going to get into it because I've even been looking into like self-branding as part of this entire process of like dating. Like, oh, scary. Because truly, some people are doing PR out here. Like, why does why is it giving polished? Tell me more, tell me more. You know how sometimes you look at a man's profile. Okay, sorry, this is very hetero vibes. But you look at a man's profile and you're thinking, there's something about this just feels too, like, squeaky, clean, like, it feels too over-engineered. Um, and so then I, like, got into reading about this. And, like, essentially how people are doing this as a form or as a way of performing masculinity, but it's, like, completely tied to this idea that, like, your dating profile or your the profile that you're putting up is, like, your personal branding. And then people were referring to something, like, what was it? It was, like, not just personal branding, but then it got even scarier with it. It was, like, okay, let me find this. My notes are a mess. I'm so sorry. It was, like, personal branding. And then it somehow got into, like, person, persona construction and then, like, impression management. I was like, no, this is getting too far. Like, people were trying to, like, theorise, like, how all of this is basically, like, capitalism worming its way into our love lives. Because like, even from before, like, we already had this. Like, it was, like, the dating market. Are you on or off the market? Like, but with dating apps, it's, like, a whole level, like, I didn't deep it before because all of it is like, okay, so this is a market. I'm a product on the market, but now we actually are going through the process of branding and then managing impression. Like, what is this? So I don't know why what you said just really made me think of like, it's true. Like, it's bad PR for you, but also some people are really doing PR for this. Like, they're actually constructing what they think someone else is going to be like, yeah, that's an amazing man. Like, and then oh, I was getting into it more and I was reading about how like men aren't even, particularly heterosexual men aren't even like doing that for what women are going to want. They're essentially like constructing what they think other men will consider positive masculinity or not even positive, but like just their badge of like, I'm a great masculine male I don't know what I'm saying but you know what I'm saying oh I don't know it just got a bit scary at that point because it was talking about autoeroticism and like projecting their own view of like how men should look and like 
then it's like, okay, so in this time where we're supposed to be deconstructing all of these things, like we're just what performing masculinity all over again. Mm-mm. You know what? It's it's so interesting because like so one of the reasons why we're doing this episode is because I, I did I wrote a piece for Shadow a while back interviewing Alfie Bone who um, wrote this book called Dream Lovers: The Gamification of Relationships, which was about it looks at the growing industries of like love and sex technologies to expose how like corporations and the state are kind of starting to like monopolize on our desire and, and move from not even just shaping it to completely transforming it for their own ends. And what you said there he like really talks about how this performance on these kind of like is you're right it's like your your personal like branding page means that there's like constant disappointment built into the dating experience so like you project this like idealized version of yourself onto this thing and so does this other person you go on this date it's disappointing because you're not living up to this kind of like fake persona that you've made and therefore so you get the buzz of the connection with this hot person you go on the date they're not the same as this, like, thing that they're putting out into the world and it immediately feels disappointing. And it's, like, conditioning our, like, little rat brains into this cycle of, like, dopamine hit, disappointment. It's, like, addiction. And, like, that it, that's what the dating apps want. Like, you know, obviously Hinge says it's designed to be deleted, but, like, Alfie's point is, like, obviously it isn't designed to be deleted because they make money off you being on that app. And it's, like, yeah, I don't know. I just think that's really interesting how it's, like, we think it's PR for ourselves, but, like what we're putting out into the world is like, I, I know I do it. Like when I was just thinking about like how, you know, like when me and my friends, like if I take like a, like a gorge pick of one of my friends, I'll be like, oh, perfect hinge, like great hinge pick there. And you're like, what the hell? Like you just look beautiful, babe. It doesn't have to be to sell yourself to men, rats, you know? No, it's true. Uh, oh boy. That's got me, no, don't even make me think about that too deep because <laughs> it's true. We all do it. Like we're like, oh, that looks so great. Like, why do we do that? I mean, like, I can talk a little bit more about, like... I, I think, like, a good way to think about it is what Alfie kind of talks about, which he's, like, talks about this moment that we're in. Like, first of all, technology 100% is completely changed how we're dating. Like, there's no... I don't think we can, like, deny that. Specifically has been sped up because of the pandemic, obviously, where, like, no one could date in real life. And so, like, everyone, like, went online. Like, I have some stats here, which is that, like, in the pandemic... Tinder recorded three billion swipes in one day because we all just sat at home swiping on people. I know! That's kind of like a number that I can't even really comprehend if there's only eight billion people on Earth. Like, is that how sad and desperate we all were? We were all just like swiping 300 times on dinner. And yeah, OkCupid reported a 700% increase in dates and a Bumble video call feature usage increased by 70% all in the pandemic. Like, And the money that these dating apps were making just shot up. So like... Like, there's, like, a real... You can't deny that technology is completely influencing how we're dating now. But what Alfie kind of says is that this moment that we're in um, is called a desire revolution, um, which kind of he defines as being a fundamental and political transformation of the way that we desire as human beings. And he says that the last one was in the 1960s, which was, like, you know, free love, like, liberating desire. And, like, that really changed about how, how we loved and were in relationships. And it was, like, fundamental political transformation. Although I wonder if that's quite a Western framework of understanding it. Now I think about it, that's very, like, that feels quite Western. But anyway, he's he, what he says is that, like, love isn't this, like, irrefutable force that, like, is outside of political and economic influence. He's like, desire and love have always been shaped and constructed by institutions. The church and, like, literature and film, like, we know that... I know that my the way that I think about relationships is definitely, as especially as a young woman, was influenced on, like, by film and TV. But he's saying that tech is different than this because it's not just influencing how we desire, it's completely transforming it to serve, basically, corporate interests. 
and like tech companies speak in this way of like, you know, like Hinge, we're designed to be deleted, claim to be giving us what we want, which I guess what we want broadly is like long, sustaining, happy relationships, but are geared towards tech, which actually transforms what, what we want to, to meet their needs, basically. And I think that's really interesting because I think that is true. <laughs> It definitely is true. It's so funny because also, side note, everyone should read the article. It's really good. But I I think what you're saying about how Alfie describes like, this, I don't know, I don't even know how to put it, but just the fact that we're all being fed the same, like, the, I guess the same class of people, like the same type, like, I think it really relates to like what Foucault talks about as like sexuality is this dense transfer of power and like, the way that we, like, sex and relationships and all of this fear have essentially, over the past few, I don't know, decades, centuries, become, like, a police matter, a state matter, and now, of course, like, a corporate matter, because it's, like, who you're with, what that reinforces in terms of hierarchy, in terms of economies and politics and like everything like people know that there is great power in like who we choose to love and like the fact that corporations are now in on that as well as like the state and like the police as an arm of the state is really interesting and like what their motivations will do to like shape and like reshape like the politics of desirability oh gosh I don't want to think about it because then I'll get scared yeah, yeah, I think, you know, relationships and, and marriage specifically, I don't know, here in the UK have always been a way of, like, you know, protecting yourself or social status or, like, climbing the social ladder or, like, showing something off to the rest of society. But maybe back then, at least we said it, whereas now it's harder to see. I don't know, that's that's really interesting to me. But I think, like, what Alfie spoke a lot about, which I found really interesting, was how apps... Because I guess Tinder was the first one, like, on the phone, like, big in the space served to basically streamline dating to be as time minimal and short-lived as possible. So basically, easily slotting into a nine-to-five work week, not too disruptive, like, your sex life slots in. It's, like, very, very clinical, reinforcing hookup culture. And I, I as I was kind of, like, revisiting this piece, I was looking at how... I, I was watching this video called Queering the Metaverse by Dr Jacqueline Ristolo. It's really good. I'm going to put it in the references. But, like, she was talking about how these apps are designed for you to make you spend money to boost your profile. So to manufacture discontent, to basically make it harder for you to get good matches if you're not spending money. So ensuring that you're getting that thing I was talking about earlier, that dopamine like loop of like uh, matches and non-matches to reinforce you feeling good. And then when you spend more money to boost your profile, you get that like the dopamine again. And I was looking at this stat and in 2021, the match group generated 2.98 billion US dollars in revenue, which is like basically because I think I've never spent money in all these dating apps, but like a lot of the revenue is generated from people like boosting their profile, like when you've X someone going back and rematching them and things like that. And so they're making money off you in the app like that, but they're streamlining your lifestyle to make it like super allied to capitalism, but also they're collecting your intimate data. Intimate data refers to, like, your opinions, attitudes, beliefs and moods that aren't written down anywhere but can be inferred from your online behaviour. And it's really, like, valuable because it's very useful for predicting our desires, aka making us buy stuff. So that stuff in and of itself, before we even spent money on the app, is, is worth a load of money. And it goes back to what you were saying before about kind of, like, how 
these dating app things are, are kind of a performance, but also how they're transforming how we think about ourselves. And the the example that he kind of uses in this idea of like tech isn't just influencing dating, it's completely transforming it, is like if you think about how when it comes to like technology influencing our health, if you think about an Apple Watch and all the things that count our steps, like say to someone 10 years ago, what do 10,000 steps means? It means nothing. But you say 10,000 steps now, it completely transformed about how we traverse the city, how we think about exercise. Like the technology measuring what we're doing is changing how we think about exercise in and of itself, how we think about health, like get my 10K steps in. Like that is the so normal now. And that's how I think about often the exercise that I do every day. Like, And so he's asked us to kind of take that example and think about how our performance for these dating apps, the metrics we get back, the likes we get back are changing ourselves and how we love each other. And I think that's also really scary because I don't think it's so easy to see. Do you know what I mean? Definitely. And I think along with that, what I found really interesting from the article is like how you wrote about all of these companies essentially being connected because they're owned by the same conglomerate. And so what are they doing with all of that data? What are they doing with all of that knowledge um, about what we think and feel? That was crazy to me because like, what do you mean they have people across all of these different apps and know what we think and what we feel and like and then can essentially influence that like oh scary yeah it is really scary and it's like this is they they, he literally calls it like a monopoly on on love and on and on dating like and on our intimate data like because i don't use um tinder i'm actually banned from tinder what i know i'm not i promise i wasn't harassing anyone me and my friend shout out lois went on a series of like double dates <laughs> that we got on Hinge and we were like, this is so fun, we want to keep it going. So we tried to make a joint profile for like a double dating profile, being like, lads, sign up to double date us. And I woke up in the morning and I've been banned from Tinder for life. Oh no! I know, let the girlies double date for safety. I didn't know that was, not, that was a thing. I've never, I've never been a Tinder user, I suppose. But why, are you just not allowed to double date? Is that not a thing that you can do? From what I recall, I don't even know this is true, but I feel like I remember there's loads of like couples that were like were going on dating apps and being like, "Hey, looking for like looking for a third and like on oh, yeah. queer women's Tinder." No, one of the stories that my friend told me was literally that, except like he didn't tell her beforehand, so he went on like made a profile as himself and was like, "Yeah, they were chatting, whatever." Doesn't mention that like he's in a relationship. Doesn't mention that it's an open thing, like whatever just comes across as himself, like single person, open to dating. Cool. She literally, she said, it agrees to meet. And then like the day before, they've been talking for ages and the day before is like, oh, by the way, it's for a threesome with my girl. Oh my God. Yeah, this, I mean, that's, and, and there's, and there's a problem. And there's a problem. We're talking about like, yeah, straight people mainly here, but like, I think, being queer on some of these apps is really hard as well like in a different way like lots of couples straight people men fetishizing especially queer women and it's like so it, I, to be fair if they had to ban me and lois's double dating profile to protect the queer women i'll i'll take the l this time because i didn't i've never used <laughs> i've never used tinder before anyway but the whole point is if you haven't used tinder it doesn't matter because if you've used hinge it's owned by the same company they own it's like it's like the same company owns it's called IAC and owns like basically 40 to 45 of all of the dating apps so OkCupid Plenty of Fish Black People Me and like so it doesn't matter what dating app you're using it's the same people same 
shit, basically. Oh, I hate it here. I know, it's scary. It's really scary. But I also kind of am like, what are they, what are they doing with all of that? I don't know. I don't know. Because I, I know that there's biases in these algorithms. Like, you can even kind of feel it sometimes when you're on the apps. So I don't know. It's just what what the impact of it is 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 still like I don't know weird. And the, the biases in the apps like we've known this forever. Like I don't know that even back in like from 2014, I think that was a study from OkCupid um, where the the creator of the app ended up saying that when you're looking at how two strangers behave in a romantic context, race is the ultimate confounding factor. Like that is a big statement. Because their their research essentially showed that like white users are more likely to be messaged or responded to than their non-white counterparts, and that like black women and Asian men are the least likely to be messaged or responded to, all the stuff that we know. But I don't know, I feel like there's this like, oh, shock horror, like people don't want to talk to black women, but we've been you, we've known this for ages, like the apps aren't doing anything about it, nor do I really want them to, to be honest. But it's just like the politics of desirability has always been built into these apps. And like, I don't know, how does that, how does the algorithm, how does the kind of motivations of these companies reinforce those existing hierarchies? Um, is I guess the question that I still have. Because in terms of the like technology of it, I don't, I don't think I'll ever understand that, but we know it's happening, you know? Yeah, and I I think that's a really good point in what you're making is like, okay, if you look, if we're going to look at history, yes, people were more likely to probably date within their racial groups because there's been existing racism and racial tensions and also like laws prohibiting like interracial relationships and stuff like that. So if you look to the past, of course, there's going to be harder lines around race and dating. Whereas like, that is not the, the trajectory that we're on, I think, anyway. I think broadly, like people are definitely like more open-minded and definitely date across like like racial lines but the dating apps are hardening along the like by like these 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 racial lines that like have existed in the past but aren't like necessarily like they're not fixed they're definitely not fixed in fact society's probably moving in the opposite way right but they're just kind of like taking people's I don't know what it is like I guess maybe if you're on a dating app for the first time, especially like, you know, when they first came out, you maybe you're a bit nervous, you're a bit scared and you're like going for what's familiar and that might be like dating within your racial group, like back in the day. But like, if that's what's being fed into the algorithm, the algorithm is just reinforcing that, which I don't actually think necessarily reflects humans' desire or experiences in the real world. Does that make sense? And it's interesting because I think black women have always experienced this, I guess dichotomy of like hypersexuality and hypersexualization um within like media, like historically, like whether it was artwork or whatever, but then also when it comes to relationships, often facing the opposite of, you know, facing rejection and lack of desire and so on. And so like having that then essentially automated where people are like, I don't know, commodifying bodies and black women's bodies and in in particular. But then when it comes to things like commitment, it's like, oh, no, thank you. Yeah, and it's like, what is the complicity of the dating apps? Is there even any, um, you know, is there even any reason questioning the dating apps? Is it about people and their socialisations? Like, how do you even manage that? And for me personally, I'm just like, 
if you don't want me, you don't want me. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, I'm not in, in Jamaica culture. We say, me not beg friend, but me not beg my boyfriend neither. You understand? So it's just, <laughs> like, I'm just, it is what it is. You know, so that's why I never talk about this stuff, because I'm just like, you know what? It is what it is. <laughs> And I, I, and like as you're saying, I'm thinking like it's so absolutely fucking crazy that in this fucking country we're always like free love, like da da da, like I'll love who I want, like I would never get an arranged marriage, and yet we're basically letting the algorithm do the arranging based off like what makes the most money, what's most profitable, like this idea that we're free but we're not free, we're being forced back into a box that suits the interests of certain people, and we like we have to, like we 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 can't ignore the fact that. It's very profitable for big tech companies to keep keep people segregated across racial and class lines, like to keep people not unified, to split them, to, to, to harden existing divides between communities like that. That love has a power to build across some of those things and to stop us loving each other and to harden those existing divides. And those divides have all previously always served to keep you know, the people down, basically, is we keep them in fighting with each other, we keep them not connecting with each other. Like, we we have to acknowledge the role that is active, I think, there. And I think there is culpability from these big tech companies because it, it, it benefits them and it benefits, you know, the governments that keep them unregulated and keep them making money, basically. Big picture, big picture there, but you know what I mean. Very big picture, because the question of who we love and who we see as lovable, like, or deserving of love, like, says so much about the society that we live in as well. It's like... I don't know, like, how do we, if you don't even perceive someone as human, of course, you're not going to be like, yeah, let's go on a date. <laughs> like, if that's, do you know what I mean? I just, I find it so interesting that, like, we're almost at the wrong, we're interrogating it almost at the wrong point, because at the point at which people have logged onto that app, like, so much is already entrenched, and, and those apps are just, like doubling down to be honest like we've already socialized into people the belief that like okay the hegemonic like heteronormative construction of family is very individualized it's about you know keeping you know good class politics for yourself and your um you know immediate family and blah 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 and all of the nonsense that we get fed essentially from before we can even understand it and that comes to form our understanding of what love or like what positive love should look like when really it's just the way that they keep us from forming attachments that are rooted in radical love and solidarity because it's just it's the very opposite it's literally the inverse it's like oh how do I make sure that me and the like you know, singular person that I attach myself to and then the individuals that we then procreate are okay rather than, like, making sure that society as a whole is okay. Yeah, and I, I completely agree with what you're saying because when I was talking with Alfie about this, and this this is why I really enjoyed speaking with Alfie because he's, like, a, you know, incredibly, like, successful um, and, and brilliant researcher and I was basically using him as my personal agony aunt on my dating life. But, like, I was saying, like, yeah, I mean... Because he was saying you know, to resist this, 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 what he was calling the splinter net or the process by which digital space is organised and curated into distinct blocks with specific demographics through dating sites. We have to try and, like, love and connect with people that we wouldn't do otherwise. And, like, I was like, okay, I'm not up in, for in my personal romantic relationships. I'm not up for 
sorry, dating a Tory. Like, I'm not up for dating with someone whose values don't align with mine, even if that serves some, like, broader kind of, like, solidarity building, like, a, like across class lines and, like, blah, blah, blah. That's not something that I want to take on in my personal romantic relationships where I feel really vulnerable. I don't know, like, I'm, I'm, I was talking to my friend Lara about this and we were talking about how on Hinge you have these little signifiers about, like, what if you're leftist or not. And so she said that hers was, like... So on Hinge, you answer prompts, and hers was, like, simple pleasures, enjoying an M&S mojito tin on the train. And if you know, you know, that's a reference to our Queen Diane Abbott, who um, was... Uh, yeah, exactly. But she knows that when someone replies to that prompt going, oh, you have to try their bramble gin, she knows it's not on. And, like, it's like, we do all these things all the time, and I'm like, I don't... I don't want my per- my dating life to be some personal experiment in like seeing if I can connect with people who I think don't have values that align to mine. Like, yeah, obviously people who are different to me, I think is really important. But like, if you're like sexist, racist, like misogynistic, like homophobic, like ableist, like it, maybe you might be a bit ignorant in some areas and I could, we can like talk about that. But like, if those are like hardline beliefs, I'm not going to date you to build solidarity. But I think you're so right in saying maybe that's not the focus of where our focus should be. And this is where I want to shout out Shadow's Book Club coming up, Love Beyond the Binary, which is like asking us to take our obsession with kind of romantic relationships and refocus on thinking about romantic love and broadening that out to like lots of different relationships, like your communities and, and, and stuff and focusing on that. And I think I'm, I've signed up to it. I think it's going to be really good because I think that you're right. That's the task at hand. I think when we've got to the dating app, it's too far gone. And I think that's 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 right. What you're saying there about, like, Alfie's reflections on being open to difference, like, I think kind of touches on something I was reading in prep for this episode. It was a book called um, Men, Masculinity and Contemporary Dating by Chris Hayward. And within it, it was talking about how, like, digital matching pathways rely on a process of compatibility that is, like, essentially the main reasoning pattern that you're using is reflexive reasoning and like that essentially means that we're using a mode of choice that is coming from the economic sphere rather than like historically maybe there was some more room for like intuitive modes of knowledge or like you know that like buzz you get or like butterflies or whatever it is you know but like we're essentially because of the way that apps and profiles you're essentially putting out like (laughs) metrics that you're being measured against it's like attributes that you're saying um pick me because of this pick me because of that pick me because of the other and it's this like context of competition that is pushing our reflexive reasoning rather than like like intuitive side so maybe it's i don't i don't think maybe we're saying data dory but maybe it's like are we xing out people literally xing out people who you know if we'd had that in-person opportunity to connect beyond these attributes that we are putting people in competition against kind of just instinctually without even thinking about it maybe there are people we would be open to who present through the app and reflexive reasoning space we aren't you are so right as as you were saying that I was thinking like just on like a personal level like me and my me and my housemates say this all the time we're like all the people that we've we've dated kind of seriously we would never have matched with on a dating app because that that the whole thing has been kind of a vibe it's been a click it's been that thing that you can't really explain where it's like yeah crack it's crack do you know what I mean you get on you get on you vibe there's a you're like okay there's a back and forth here this is great and 
you can't do that on an app. And that can make you more forgiving of different things and you can come together and grow. And that that's such a that is such an interesting point. We're, we're making decisions based on metrics rather than emotion and feeling. And like, yeah, very, yeah. I keep changing my mind on this. <laughs> I know, same. It's so difficult though, because it's like, there are, I, I mean, I'm similar to what you said. Like I have, there are certain things for me where I just wouldn't feel comfortable dating someone who has certain opinions or like I've been on a date before where someone has said, you know, something maybe like, I don't want to say mildly, but like, because there is no such thing as mild transphobia, but like mildly transphobic and we've had a conversation, but even as the conversation is happening and I'm trying to like give them better, better ideas, I've already switched off from the idea that we could ever date seriously because I'm like, uh, you're just not, we're not, we don't have the same values. And it's not that that person is terrible and it's not that that person can't learn and grow, but like I've just made like a snap judgment based on like, one thing that someone has said which is terrible like it is really terrible but I also think it's not just that we're using reflexive reasoning while we're in the app I think that sometimes it also then feels like we're still pushing those buttons and like making those tap and swipe decisions when you're in the in-person sphere and I think I've definitely been uh, I've fallen prey to that and even as someone who believes in like transformative justice and the power that we have to like grow and learn and develop and not stay in the same place that we've always been taught to be like I think sometimes that like neural pathway of like oh swipe oh x oh done like sometimes it just it falls into the in-person date beyond even the app which is quite a scary thought as well yeah and I but I think you know in a way like there's another element of it and tell me if this is a bit of a reach here but as women a straight well, I don't know, I don't presume you're, um, you're attracted to, but as women who date men, we have to learn some metrics which keep us safe. So it's not a stretch, I think, to be like, oh, I'm going to date with someone who said something a little bit transphobic. That's not a reach to say that that could come from a place of misogyny. And like, I have to be keeping myself mentally and physically safe. And so I think there's also a lot of things in there that you we don't even realise are metrics to be like, oh, okay, um, I'm not going to put myself in a situation where I feel like romantically vulnerable with you because I'm totally with you. Like I've... If, you know, if I if I had a penny for every day I've been on with a man where they said something a bit like, Ugh, you know, I'd be a rich woman. <laughs> but, you you know, you try and give them the grace. And you're like, OK, look, maybe you're not like the partner for me, but, you know, I, I wanna, I'll sit with you and I'll, I'll share my opinion on that. And I'll, I'll, you know, not try and berate you so that you feel like I'm going to get angry at another woman who said X, Y, Z. But I think it's hard because a lot of when you're in these online dates, you're like, I don't know this person. So I've, I have got to protect myself in other ways. I think what you say about safety is really important, actually, because some of the reading I was doing as well was around gendered power relations within dating. And, like, you know, you've written on this before. You gave me the steer. I looked into I looked into men. I looked into what's going on in that space. And I don't know, when I was, I was researching and there was uh, some interviews with men who feel as though in a post-Me Too era there's been such a backlash around dating that it's caused this kind of quote-unquote masculinity crisis uh, when it comes to dating and not knowing how to approach women without kind of things being um I don't even want to say perceived as harassment because it, things just either are harassment or odd but you know um this is how they were kind of phrasing it and 
talking about like feeling uneasy in certain dating situations or certain like flirting or like wanting to express interest and like it was just interesting to see this talk of unease and discomfort when actually that's what a lot of women who are or who have experienced unsafe situations when it comes to dating men will talk about and so it's like okay someone feels uneasy about you know whether or not they can say a certain thing or whether it's appropriate to approach in this way but like of course interrogating whether or not you've historically been like complicit in upholding gendered power dynamics is not something that you'd necessarily group with like ease or comfortability but like it's also not easy or comfortable navigating those very dynamics as a woman um, who dates men and like having to consistently assess your safety and so as you said that and kind of it just made me feel better about the fact that like yeah I've made certain decisions that maybe weren't entirely upholding my commitment to like a belief in transformative justice and our power to like learn and grow as people but ultimately those decisions were about having to navigate safety and it's true like we are having to make those decisions all the time those split decisions those like you know quick inferences about someone for safety reasons and so like when it's that versus oh I don't I don't feel that this is an easy situation to navigate it just feels a bit like I don't know yeah you know and it's the irony of it isn't it it's the like the men that think in that way probably need a woman to kind of explain it to them from a place of like empathy, but they are the ones who are having, you know, issues communicating with women and therefore you get stuck in this cycle, which is why you see the kind of incel pipeline and like it shouldn't be women on women's labour to do so. But like if you don't have access to the to the resources to understand the history of like patriarchy and how it's impacted you as a man and like da 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 then, you know, you're not going to find it in those all male online spaces, which are the only spaces that might be affirming you where you're at right now. And I think it's a real shame because I, I do think actually a lot of people, like I have some of these stats, I was looking into it and there's a report called the Singles Report that concluded nearly 80% said that they've experienced um, emotional burnout or fatigue when online dating of a survey of 518 to 54-year-olds. In 2016, Match.com included a question about fatigue on its annual survey uh, of 5,000 Americans and about half respondents said that they were burned out with their online dating life. So the apps work sometimes, the apps don't work other times, but I do think a lot of people are really missing and putting down the apps to try and like meet people in real life and have that kind of genuine, authentic thing where we're not, where we're making decisions based on emotion and crack and vibe, but in a space where men are scared of, you know, offending or harassing women that's not going to happen as much. And it's like, who's going to teach those men how to be kind and considerate? Because if no one's... in how you approach women and respectful, because if no one's teaching them, then it's really it's a self-reinforcing cycle. And I, I was reading this article, which was like how men represent approximately 62% of dating app users lowering their chances for matches. And they were talking about how younger and middle-aged men are the loneliest they've been in generations, like compared to their, their female counterparts. And it was talking about how there's like, it was calling it a skill deficit. Like men have a skill deficit on how to approach women romantically right now. Like there is a, a, a skills gap, like you would say, like in in in, a, in the job market, which is a problem, which is a big problem. And it's like, how do we plug that gap? <laughs> yeah, that really articulates it 
well because it is literally like so many and not even in romantic context but a lot of men don't know how to talk to women like just as human beings <laughs> like just often because of you know socialization around objectification and commodification of women and like I don't know just the way even sometimes with you know good intentions like just the phrases used or the way that people come like it's just it can be so like jarring that people or women specifically are just like what are you saying and I think it was interesting because in the in the book that I was reading, it's uh, called Me Too or Men Too, Expressions of Backlash and Masculinity Politics in the Me Too Area. It was talking about this difference between those people you're referring to, like the kind of men's right activist groups who are like, this has gone too far and, you know, this is not helpful and now we can't talk to anyone. It's all legalised, it's all political, you know, you know the stuff. But like making a distinction between that and then, what the book terms PMAs, so positive masculinity advocates, who are recognising that there is actually an opportunity here, which is that men could have a far more wholesome and fulfilling and happy life without like having to play into very traditional notions. But that, that like, I think now as you're talking, I'm realising that that requires education like that actually requires a shift in like how we teach men to interact in the world and like with other human beings um like that's not gonna just happen overnight and like I guess I I always knew that but I didn't necessarily think of it so I guess succinctly as a skills gap which it it really is you know I I had a couple thoughts as you were speaking then like first of all that idea of that, you know, that sexualization, that commodification of women becomes doubly when you're dehumanized over an app. And I am guilty of saying this myself. I'm like, this, I will say, this is a phone game. Don't take it too seriously. Don't think of these men as real people or it will hurt your feelings. As advice of women to not get their, like, you know, their my female friends to not feel upset when they get ghosted, you know, like, because we, on dating apps, you ghost and you get ghosted. That's, it, that's central to the game, basically. And just thinking about, that's cut okay it's not great when I do it but put that on the other you know on the other foot that's that dehumanization is going to make that experience for the people that they're interacting with so much worse and and I think you're so right about this idea of more a more broad education on how we speak and relate to each other because I I really love kind of the there's lots of like great writers women writers on on dating and love in the UK I want to like Annie Lord's Vogue column I'm obsessed with like the whole time I've been single, like, I just feel like I, every time I read her column, I'm like, she's reading my thoughts. And, like, Moya Lothian McLean has done some great writing on it and, and lots of other people. And I feel like even this year, there's been a real buzz in, you know, I think everybody re- basically read All About Love by Bell Hooks and was like, let's get into it. And, like, started applying it to modern dating. And someone, I can't remember who it was, I'll have to find it and cite it in the references, penned this article, like, there are so many women who are deeply curious about what's going on with heterosexual relationships right now. So many writers, agony aunts, you know, podcasts, where are the men that are talking about this in the same way? There are no male counterparts. They aren't interested. Well, and if they are, nobody's stepping up to the plate to take that kind of, to start writing about what it is to be a man who is single in this society from a kind of more leftist or perspective. And it it does shock me that it feels like there is just a, such a deficit in where, where like women, you know, we, we need it, but men need it. Men need to feel seen in their experiences. Men need to have guidance in how they like act in some of these like scenarios when they're meeting people online or in apps. Like they need advice from each other and from, as you call them, PMAs. 
So, yeah, I, I think that the state of the world right now is we need more men out here talking about dating in a vulnerable but funny and accessible way. That's a call to action, boys. Literally, this is a call out. If that's you, if you're listening and you're a man and you date women, please, please start talking about it on the internet. And let us know. Please email us and tell us if you do. <laughs> there is a skills deficit that needs to be plugged. Get in there. It's Get in there, please. We're begging well, for it. becoming an ad. Like. <laughs> <laughs> we need you. <laughs> Literally. Oh, gosh. But we do. We desperately need you. So, please. I feel like we I feel like we need to change the title of this episode to Is Big Tech Ruining Heterosexual Dating? We've just been like, men, what are you doing? <laughs> like this is yeah, definitely this has been a very hetero lens on all of this. But we have lots of questions. Okay. We do. You know what I was actually thinking, because like this is um a reveal. Both Larissa and I are five eleven, so this is a tall galley podcast. I was like, what are you about to say? And I was like, this, we are out here doing the audit for all of you, all these men who are saying they're 5'11 and 6 foot. I'm on hinge to make sure that they're telling the truth. Because I've had so many lads say they're 5'11 and turn up to date. And I'm like, you can't say that to a girl who's 5'11 because I know you're lying because you're shorter than me. Honestly, and it's like, do you not think I'm going to realise? I'm looking down at the top of your head right now. I know you're not 5'11. I'm looking, my face, my head is angled, like... I'm not looking eye to eye. So did you not think at some point I was going to realise? Like, I'm even without my glasses, I can see. It's, I, mm, oh, my head hurts. Uh, yeah, so also, you know, boys out here being like, oh, girls shouldn't use filters, girls shouldn't get lip fillers. Stop lying about your height on the dating apps, please, first, before you want to say anything, and then we'll talk. Can't believe that you've just exposed that we're both 5'11". I don't want people to do I know, but it's powerful. <laughs> It is. I actually love being tall, I can't lie. Me too. It's very powerful that we're both 5'11". That's that's important, I think. It is. Uh, I can't believe we've never met in person. When we meet in person, it's going to be like 5'11 unite. I know. We can look each other in the eyes. <laughs> okay, so where are you finding hope with this? And I don't, I don't even know if we need an action because it's kind of like, I don't know. But where are you finding hope with this? <sighs> um, where am I finding hope? I find hope in the fact that I actually don't, covet a dating situation right now like because I feel like there's so much radical love that so many of us are particularly on the left find ourselves surrounded by in the community that we're building and so maybe it's not hope directly in this but it's also it is hope it is hope that like we can resist this idea that you know, we have to be getting this dopamine here and this, you know, like, because we feel fulfilled and that, like, I often play myself <laughs> and also play it to my mum. You know that video, um, oh, my gosh, what's her name? I've forgotten it. It's gone out of my head. Where she's like, compromise for a man and then just cackles. Oh, my God, is it Eartha Kitt? I think it's Eartha Kitt. Have you seen it? I haven't seen it. You have to send that to me and so I can send it to my mum. <laughs> oh, I'm sending it to you straight after this. Okay, so sometimes, like, when me and my mum are just chatting about love and, like, whatever, um, I will just play this video for us as a reminder. And it's literally an interview with Eartha Kitt. I don't know who the interviewer is, but it's being very silly. This man is being very silly and asking her about, like, you know, is a relationship not something that you should compromise for? Would you not know when you fall in love, wouldn't you compromise? And Earth Kit literally turns to him. She's like, a man comes into my life and I have to compromise? 
we must think about that one again. Like, I have seen it. I have seen that. I have seen that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, I don't know. I just feel, I feel blessed and hopeful to be in a space where my life feels very full and that anything romantic feels like an addition to an amazing set of like friendships and like people that I admire and um, who inspire me. And yeah, I think... Maybe it's not hope specifically in any of the dating apps, but it's hope that, like, radical love does exist and, like, can be fulfilling. And you know what? I, like, I think, unfortunately, like, as dating apps get worse, like, all that we've seen from all of the people running the numbers is that women are fine, single. Like, isn't it that middle-aged, unmarried women are, like, the most happy demographic in the UK or something? Because women have social relationships to sustain them. Like, I'm not actually... I'm not worried about my future at all because I've got a rich life, as you say, filled with people that love me and, like, beautiful friends and, like, da 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 I am a bit more worried about the men because they're less able to cultivate that, that rich life outside of romantic relationships and more dependent on it. So I hope for them that they start, you know, picking up their pussies and sorting themselves out a little bit. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, please continue. Yeah. And the I'm reminded of a video, and I know this is bad, but like you know that video of like Tyler the Creator, he's like, has cyberbullying. Why don't you just turn off your turn off your computer? It's kind of like the same with dating apps. It's like dating apps. Why don't you just turn off your phone? Like if you hate dating apps so much, delete the apps. Go out there and chat to someone. And like I know it's hard, but it's like not that. It's like deep, but it's not that deep. You know? Truly. Although I say that, I didn't. It's it. I'm saying it's hard. It's definitely hard to approach people. But maybe we all just need to work on like cultivating that a little bit. And I see my girlies more and more as we're returning from pandem life, getting a bit more cheeky with it and like approaching guys. And I think maybe that's the maybe that's the saving grace for dating heterosexual dating right now is the girlies leading the way. I love that. Yeah, let's do it. I'm down. I'm <laughs> I'm challenging myself. Action for a week uh, for this week is hit on a man. <laughs> Where do you find hope in that I can pursue a man? <laughs> like, if I if I so choose to, if I so choose to. And the other action is, yeah, sign up to the Love Beyond the Binary book club for Shadow. I think it's so on this in moving from this space of being obsessed with romantic relationships, with the, which I so am. Like, I love talking about them. I love discoursing them. And it's like, okay, let's maybe move our, my headspace to something that's a little bit more useful for transforming society. So Charlene Gandhi is going to lead us through that. And I think it's going to be amazing. What are we talking about next week oh we what we will be doing is we're gonna our, our next episode will be a shorter episode but we we realized that like when we started this we wanted to move from overwhelmed to action and actually a lot of the themes have been really sprawling and like it could maybe feel a little bit overwhelming with all these different topics on this season so we're gonna just do a bit of distilling and see if we can just have a have a final chat about the themes that are emerging that tie all of these different things together and like modes of resistance that work against multiple things so as a way to kind of prioritize what action you might want to take and not feel completely overwhelmed yeah, and I think ultimately, like, I think all of these things, and particularly as we were planning the, the series, that like, we realised all of these things are so interconnected. Like, when you're talking about one, you are, in fact, talking about the other. And, like, so are, in the ways that the systems that we're fighting against are inherently intertwined, like, our resistance has to be as well. So if we can find ways to join that up, to have collectivist thinking around that, like, I think it'd be real powerful. I'm excited for that, actually, that little chat. Here we get. Me too. You can re-listen to this season and play a drinking game. Drink every time big tech is trying to make money off us. And that's the problem. <laughs> like, 
That is a theme. Yeah, but that will be uh, what we're chatting about next week. Um, this has been really fun. Thanks so much for joining this, us this week, these guys. No, I've really enjoyed the, the conversational um, vibe of this episode. We've just been back and forth in it. Like, I think we should back and forth more. I think we should back and forth more. I know. Guess get less rigid. Get more. Get more chilled. That's definitely my influence. I'm always like, we need to have a structure, so we'll be more chilled. <laughs> and I prefer it. I prefer it this way. I'm feels more relaxed. But yeah, as always, guys. If you have like, I, actually, please tell us your like terrifying and hilarious dating stories because I live for them. I truly live for them. Like the best day on the group chat is. The day after someone's been on a date and they've left uh, like two minute long voice notes, like let's go. So please send those in if you've got any of them or any hot takes on on dating and and love and tech and all of this shit. Either on Instagram DM to Shadow um, or uh, Gmail, which is shadowlightpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks everyone. Bye.